Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on the study we're doing of... Uh, well, right now we're in Second Peter, but we've been in a very long study on the New Testament. This is the 226th study on the New Testament. So we're going a week at a time, pretty much, chapter at a time, pretty much. We've worked our way through very well. And, uh, and so some of you have been here for most of that. Good job. We, um, I like to say this when I get started, why we do it this way, is that it helps us to understand the Bible in context. And context is extremely important when it comes to reading and understanding the Scripture. Because you, you, if you keep it in context, you're making sure you're getting the truest meaning out of what's being written. If you take little passages and little verses out of context without understanding why they were where they're at, you can, you can begin to think they're saying things other than they're, what they're really saying. So we're, we're going at it a chapter at a time so we can look at it in context and get the feel for what's taking place throughout. And so, you know, when you read the New Testament, and you've been following along, you, you start with the Gospels and you, you understand the, the life and ministry of Jesus and what that looks like. And then you go into Acts and you start seeing what's happening with the early church and how things happen and the Spirit coming at Pentecost, which we celebrated last weekend, by the way. And then the church taking off from there and you see about the first 30 years of church history um, recorded in Acts. And then out of uh, Acts, while that was going on, the missionary journeys start taking hold and, and Peter has some um, adventures that we read about in the first part of Acts and then we see some, we're in his letters now. Um, Paul goes out on three missionary journeys. He writes the bulk of the New Testament. We've studied his letters already. And, uh, and so now we're in um, the second letter that Peter wrote. Uh, and we're almost done with this one. We'll, we'll start, uh, we'll do the little letter of Jude next. It's a one chapter study. And then we've got 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John to do. And then we'll be in Revelation. So, uh, I think. Did we do James already? I think we did. Yes. So, anyway. If we haven't, we will. Um, I, I lose track. 226 weeks in, I'm losing track a little bit. Plus, we're doing a lot of other stuff. But anyway, once we finish, then we'll start in the Old Testament. And we'll, we'll plug along for that for about 15 years. And then we'll have that done too. So, we'll be good. No problem. So, uh, Second Peter, these letters, you know, Peter's writing these letters, and um, uh, this is, Second uh, Peter in particular is right before he's martyred, so we think it's around 67 AD, 68 AD maybe. Um, there's a lot of persecution in the church, and they're, they're facing it from outside, and, and now he's dealing with false teachers on the inside, and so there's a lot of stuff trying to sort of shake apart the church. Um, here in its in its uh, beginning, and so Peter is writing to encourage the folks and to keep them on track and to help them and to be aware of situations, what's happening. One of the things that's coming that they're dealing with is that um, at this point in time now, um, within the church, scoffers have arisen that are beginning to teach that Jesus is never going to come back, and and so that's a that's another thing they're having to deal with. You know, initially when, when um, Jesus uh, ascended, they, all the guys early on thought he would come back fairly quickly. They had no idea how long um, he was going to be gone. He didn't say, and he just said he was coming back. And so they were expecting him to come back, and then time has been passing now, um, and the church has been doing phenomenal things, but uh, it's towards the end of all these guys' lives that they start writing these things down because Jesus hadn't come back. They didn't initially start to write because they thought like he would be back soon. Um, and they were living this tension 
that Jesus was coming back any time. Uh, and yet they wanted to be doing the things that he'd commanded them to do until he came back. And so they were busy doing those things too, all the time thinking he'd be back at any time. But apparently that's the exact tension that we're supposed to live in throughout our lives. Um, we live in a time period that's called the last days. And the last days is the time between Christ's first coming and when he comes back. And so from the time that he ascended before Pentecost until today, the church has been in the last days. In fact, the church has always been in the last days from its very beginning. It started out in the last days. So you need to sort of plug that into your reference. Um, uh, when people start talking about the last days, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. We don't know how long those days are. Um, but we're to live in the constant tension that it could be any time that Jesus comes back. That's a very healthy tension. And at the same time, that's not supposed to keep us motivated to stay busy because of what it really means when he's coming back. So, um, Jesus is indeed coming back and we need to be living for him and we need to be doing what he's called us to do. And so that's what Second Peter is primarily about. I'm going to read it for you and then uh, I want to talk about what it sort of means to live in the last days as our study today. So let's hop into Second Peter 3, beginning in verse 1. There's 18 verses and uh, we'll dig into them together. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. So, that's uh, 
That's Second Peter. And um, just before I launch into the whole last days thing and what that means and what's going on, um, something of important note. Um, Peter talks about the Apostle Paul uh, and his letters in this letter. And um, he, he says, you know, that, that he's writing the wisdom that God gave him. So he's substantiating the letters of Paul. And he says, that for some they understand, but, and people distort them just as they do the other scriptures. So they're already, um, they're already laying the importance on Paul's letters of, of bearing the weight of, of inspired scripture at that point in time. So it's another, another very important thing. Okay, so um, what I really want to talk about tonight in the few moments that we have is this idea of the time um, that it's taking for Jesus to come back. And I would imagine... Um, that as the church is being heavily persecuted at this time, they were looking forward anxiously to Jesus coming back. And, and because they were being so horrendously persecuted, it seemed like it was taking a really long time. Remember now, the intense persecution they're suffering, at, at, everywhere they turn, they're being persecuted. They'd experienced, as the church had experienced this wonderful season in the beginning of, you know, just vibrant life and acceptance and everything's turning around and, and you know, the, uh, the oppression is coming and, and the enemies kick things up and they're, they're really struggling to go through things. And in that struggle, they're, they're looking forward to the return of Jesus. They know what's coming and they, they, uh, they want him to come quickly. Um, and that's, that's very sort of normal. Um, I think for all of us who have an understanding that Jesus is coming back, that... Um, we all want that to happen, and I think we probably want it a little more when things are really difficult, <laughs> and maybe just a touch less when they're not. I don't know, just being honest, but I think, you know, we, we have seasons in our life when we think, you know, Jesus, this would be a really good time for you to come back, and uh, and then maybe we have other seasons when things are, you know, things are going really well. Well, okay, let us, we, we, we're, we're pressing through, and that can sort of change as we go, but... Um, what Peter's point is, is God is not slow. Um, he's just not operating on our timetable. And that's the big deal. He, he operates on his own timetable and solely on his own timetable. We struggle with a lot of those issues with God because he, he doesn't really do things the way we think he should and the way that, that um, we would. And, and yet he's God, and so he won't, which is a, is a good thing. But you need to know he's operating on his own timetable. And so we're in this period of time. Now, now, why are we here? Because that's, that's really the issue that they were struggling with under persecution. Things are going, what, Jesus, why don't you just come back? We're ready. And then some were saying he's never going to come back. And then people were sort of drifting away and, and all sorts of things were happening. So let me give you some other scripture and ideas about what's taking place in this time while we wait for Jesus to come back and what it looks like. Now, in John 14... Verses 1 through 3, you can write down the address if you want and look it up because it's not going to show up everywhere. I want to read it to you. Or if you've got your Bibles and you can get there quickly. I've got a few verses I want to talk about. Jesus says this to the disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where you may also be where I am. So um, Jesus is t teaching his disciples and he's telling them that he's going to go and he's going to prepare a place for them and he's going to come back and get them. Now, this ties in with um, events that took place at communion where, where, in effect, Jesus had used sort of 
marriage imagery, if you would, to under, help the, the disciples understand the relationship of Jesus and the church that was coming to place. And so that analogy of a, uh, the church as the bride and him as the bridegroom was being um, sort of given to them. They couldn't quite grasp it at the time, but it would make sense to them shortly about what would look like. And so th- that idea of going to make a place for them fits into that analogy this way. Um, in, in Jesus' time, families usually lived in clusters um, that, uh, of buildings called insulas. And these buildings were built around a central courtyard. And what would happen is that there would be a family sort of home there. And then when one of the sons in that family was going to get married, he would add on to the family home. And he would build his own little home attached to the other family home or or very close to it on that same property surrounding this courtyard. And and so um, this would be part of the process. And in the marriage process, what would happen after a young man had proposed to a young woman, he would go back to the father's house and he would build a house for him and his family. And when the house was finished, um, uh, then he could go back to get his bride and would bring her back to the home. And the... um, the son obviously would be very anxious to go and get his bride, so he couldn't determine when the house was finished because he would probably do it a quick job just to go get his bride. So the father was the one. The father of the groom was the one that said to the groom, okay, you can go now. The house is ready. It's good enough. You know, this is where it needed to be. You can go and get your bride now. So the, the, it was the father who determined the time, not the, the son in this process that was going on. And so um, at the point in time when the father declared that everything was ready, the groom would go back to the town of the, the bride to get her and to bring her back to their new home. Um, all this time, the pr- prospective bride had already agreed to the marriage and everything. She would be known as the, the betrothed. And, and uh, um, they, they, in some, they were like already married and yet not in the process. They were engaged, whatever. But they were just waiting for... This, the father of the groom to say, okay, everything's ready, go and get your bride. And when Jesus describes his coming back, and I said we're in between his first coming and his second coming, he uses this same analogy of a young bridegroom waiting for his father's approval to return for his bride. In Matthew twenty four thirty six, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So Jesus is in that verse, he's saying, okay, this is what's going on. I've gone to prepare a place for you. Um, and I'm going to come back for you, but only the Father will say when the time has come for me to come back. Now, in, in those days, this process usually took about a year. Um, the son, the, the, they would become, they would be engaged, and, and uh, um, she was known, the bride would be known as one who'd been brought, bought with a price at that point, because there would have been some sort of dowry, um, something, some exchange between families had gone on. Um, so she was bought with a price, and, and um, that was a revered thing. And she would just wait for the return of her groom, who had gone out to prepare a house. Um, part of the tradition was that the groom would actually return and try and surprise his bride at some level. And so they would often come in at night, uh, and, and it was sort of part of the romance uh, of the time. And so the bride and her attendants, who they, uh, you know, as as time started getting closer and closer, they would have to make sure that they were ready to go at a moment's notice. They sort of lived on this tension of being ready to go, but at the same time they had to kind of go through their day to day life too. But they would be ready to go at a moment's notice. And one of the groomsmen who was returned with the groom would give a warning shout. So there was a little sort of precursor, just a little, so they they weren't completely caught off guard. And and. Uh, 
And then the bridegroom would actually blow a shofar, and, and then he would swoop in in the middle of the night oftentimes, pick up his bride, and off they would go. It was all part of the whole exciting, romantic ceremony of what was taking place. And they'd head off for the wedding festival, which at that point in time was a seven-day event, and it's a pretty big deal, and lots of stuff went on. And, and all, you know, all the groomsmen and all the bridal attendants would be ready to go, and they would all go together. First um, Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still asleep, uh, still alive, and are left will be caught up together with them and in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And so this is a picture of Jesus, the bridegroom coming after his bride. The, 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 uh, there's a, with a loud command, the shout happens, and, a, and a, the, a trumpet call of God takes place, and um, he's the bridegroom, we're the bride, he swoops in to get us, and off we go. And so Jesus is the bridegroom, and we're the bride waiting for his return. And so we're to be waiting wisely for his return. Matthew 25 gives a parable about what this looks like in verses 1 through 13. And it says this, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others came. Sir, sir, they said, Open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So when the Lord comes for us, um, we're to have oil lamps ready and waiting. And, and oil in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The message of the parable is, is this, that the Lord is coming for His bride who are believers that have been filled with the Holy Spirit and are waiting His return. And while we wait, we need to stay filled and focused living faithfully Him, knowing that He's coming soon, and yet making the most of the time for His glory until He returns for us, honoring Him by doing that which He commanded us to do. And this is what He commanded us to do while we wait. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You've heard it before. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So um, in those verses and in that idea, there's a, there's a picture of this, this time, these last days. And God is not slow. God is waiting so that people have a chance to repent and, and that people have a chance to make a difference, that people have a chance to understand who Jesus is. While we wait for him to come and get those of us who understand that, we're to be wise, we're to be filled with his spirit, and we're to be about his business until he comes for us. That we, we don't live um, thinking he's never coming back. We, we don't live thinking, okay, he's going to be here tomorrow, I don't need to do anything. We live in this tension 
that I talked about in the beginning, that the early church was under the entire time, thinking he was coming back at any time and yet having to go about his business until he came back, were to still live like that. And, and just because he's tarried doesn't mean he's not coming. It just means his mercy is, is allowing people to figure out who Jesus is in the process, which is the, the big point of life. And so he's not slow. He's just on his own timetable. And, and it's a timetable that has a lot of mercy and grace in it. See, because uh, Peter talks about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, when you hear about the day of the Lord, see, it's, a, it's also a day of judgment. The day of the Lord is a, it's a, it's a, it's a great and glorious, and it's also a fearful day. And you wonder, how can the same day have all these different descriptions of it? And it's because it's, it depends on where you're at in the process. Um, for those of us who know Jesus, his return is a great and glorious thing. We will, it, it's the, it's the, it's, it's going to be fascinatingly amazing, wonderful, glorious. We look forward to it. For people who don't yet know Jesus, who haven't made that choice, they've, they've kind of slipped past that time, and it's not a great day. And uh, it's a, it's a, you know, things will get set right at that point in time, and so it's a, you know, and he he talks about, you know, um, having to. It's it's less about destruction than it is about recreation. He has to recreate all the mess that's happened because of sin, and uh, so for us it's going to be a fantastic thing. But it's it's not for everyone, which gives us the motive like it did in the early church. What we want is for everyone. That, you know, that, that's the deal, is that everyone comes into the process. And so we've got work to do. We've got a lot to do to, to make that happen. We want everyone to know Jesus. Um, and, and so our lives need to reflect that. That we don't ever want to get to that spot, well, I'm in and everybody else, you know, that's on them. Um, it's not. Um, it's what we're called to do. It's, it's our calling to let people know um, in ways that they can relate to and respond to. And that's why we always talk about here, you know, we want to figure out how we can get one more, but we want to love them in. We want them to know about the love of God. We want to know what that all looks like so that they can decide that they that's where they're going to find life now and forever as well. But Second Peter 3 was just a, a great sort of chapter, I think, to talk about that process that, that we're, we're in this tension, we're in these last days. Um, Jesus could come back at any moment. Absolutely at any moment he could come back. Or he might tarry for 10,000 years. I don't know. But we need to live like he's coming back. And yet, until he comes back, we need to stay busy doing the things that he would have us do. And that's where we find life now and forever anyway. So it's a good thing. But that's the process, and that's the motivation, and that's what keeps us on track. And that's, you know, Peter's saying, because you, you understand what's coming, um, this is the motivation for living holy lives, for living meaningful lives, for living lives in Christ, because he's coming back. It's going to be a great thing. And we want others to come to know that as well, so that they can rejoice with us and, and be involved in the process of uh, the joyful part of his return. Well, anyway, that's, uh, that's enough for... Second Peter 3, it's a small chapter and it's a lot to think about. I'd encourage you to do that. If you're watching my video, thank you so much for watching and uh, come and visit when you can. And uh, we're going to stop it there.